and you were planned for God's pleasure. You were planned to worship him and to know him and to love him. That's the first purpose. And today we're going to be looking at the second purpose. And that purpose is that you were formed for God's family. Would you notice this verse at the top of your outline? It's from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. Would you read it with me? If you've got your outline, it's in the middle of your news sheet. And if you have that and your pencil, write through this. That would be great. Let's read this verse together. God is the one who made all things, and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children share his glory. Did you know? God wanted a family. That's why we're here today. He wanted a family. He wanted to have children. And the Bible says that he wants to share his glory with many people. He wanted to share it with us so that we could be part of his family. He wanted children. So we were born. Look at the next verse. It says, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. You know, the entire Bible, this entire book is the story of God building a family. That's what it's all about. He's building a family. That's why we have history, because God's building a family that's going to last not just for the time here on earth. It's going to last for the whole of eternity, this family God's building. You were made to last forever. Now, once you understand and get a grip of the first purpose of your life, worshipping God, knowing him and loving him, then you're ready after you've learnt that to get on to the second purpose of your life, to focus on it, to begin and start to practice this second uh, purpose of your life. And this is expressed, the second purpose, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. Would you read this with me? Love your spiritual family. Now, that's what God wants you and I to do. That's the second purpose of life. You see, God says, I want you to learn to love the people in my family. Why? Well, the reason is your family that you're part of right now is going to end someday. It's going to fall apart. In fact, some of you are experiencing that right now, your family falling apart. But the family that God calls us to be a part of, God's family, will last forever. It will last for all eternity. And you're going to spend so much more time with your spiritual family than you will with your physical family. And God wants you now to learn to love them. Now, why does he want us to learn to love a spiritual family? Well, there's three reasons. First of all, because it makes us more like God. You know why? Because God is love. And secondly, he wants his children to learn to actually get along together. And if any of you are parents, you know the house is so much more quieter when your kids can get along together. God wants us, his children, to get along together. And the third thing, you know, the reason why he wants us to, to love each other is because he wants us to practice what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. You know, in, in eternity, there's going to be two things we're going to be doing. We're going to be loving God forever. But we're going to be loving those of God's family that are there with us for eternity as well. And God says, I want you to start practice learning now to love other believers. So would you write this down? My second purpose in life is fellowship. That's a word that the Bible uses to describe what it means to love each other. Now, again, this word is very much like the word that we used last week in worship. It's one that's misunderstood. I mean, if this morning we were going to go and we are going to ask people on the street what they thought when we said the word fellowship, many people would say something like this. They'd say, well, it's a casual conversation. Other people would say, well, it's eating out together. Someone might say, oh, well, it's going to church. Usually people's responses would be that fellowship is something that's shallow, that's guarded, and it's brief. It would be like uh, you know, a couple of guys after the service in the foyer saying, oh, the footy season started again. Yep. Oh, those hawks are going to be great this year, aren't they? Yep. <laughs> How's the farm going, Bob? Oh, good. 
How's your work going, Bill? Good. Well, it's been great fellowshipping with you. <laughs> you know, they didn't fellowship at all. All they did was had a chat. You know, they chewed the fat. They had a bit of a chin wag together. That's not fellowshipping. Th that's just having a chat. Well, would you write this down? Fellowship is loving God's family. And the Bible says this in 1 John 4, 21. Would you read it with me? The person who loves God must also love other believers. We have to love other believers. Now, how do you actually do that? How do you love other believers? Well, fortunately, the Bible gives us really clear instructions on how you and I are to love other believers. Look at what, what Paul writes. I'm writing to you so you will know how to live in the family of God. The family, that family, is the church. Would you take your pencils and in that last sentence there, would you send, uh, circle the word family? And then would you take your pencils and circle the word church? And it'd be great if you could just do a, a line from family to church, connecting the two circles that you've just drawn. You know why? Because the church is a family. Uh, the, it's not a building, the church. It's not an institution. The church is not an organisation. It's not a club. The church is a family. A lot of people say, well, today I'm going to church, as if it's a place you actually go. But that's not correct. Church isn't just a place you go. It's actually a family that you belong to. And there's a big difference between the two. It's much more than a building. It's more than a service. A family is where you and I belong. And the truth is that God wants us to experience four levels of fellowship. We're going to look at them in detail today. We're going to look at each one. Why are we spending time looking at these four levels of fellowship this morning? Well, firstly, because it's your, your second purpose that God has for you in life. But, you know, you can't attempt, you can't do the other purposes that God has for your life until you have done this. You're not... Uh, you can't do the rest without having known and understood the second purpose of, of your life. You know, God put you on here not to be alone. He put you here to be with others, to be part of God's family. In fact, we need each other. We all need each other. Why don't you uh, watch this together this morning? <laughs> each other. Uh, the four, there are four levels of fellowship and the first level, the very first one, is a level of membership. It's actually choosing to belong. You could write that down. It's actually making a choice to belong and it's the most basic level that there is of fellowship. You actually choose to find a church family and you choose to belong to it. You choose to get connected to it. Look what the Bible has to say in Ephesians 2, 19. This is what it says. Would you read this with me? You are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You belong. You belong. The Christian life is not just a matter of believing. It's a matter of belonging. You and I must actually choose to belong. You know, fellowship actually believes with belonging, with actually making that choice. God wants you to identify and make the choice to be part of his family. You know, when you were born, you automatically became part of the human race. But you have to choose to be part of God's family. You have to choose to belong to, to his family. It's actually a choice. Membership is a choice. You know, some people say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I just don't want to belong to any church. And, and that just doesn't make sense to me. The church is where you live out actually what it means to be a Christian. You know, saying that would be like a, a footballer saying, you know, I, I just like playing footy, but I don't like being on any team. It'd be like a tuba player who says, you know, I like playing the tuba, but I'm not part of any orchestra. 
Now, a tuba player by themselves sounds pretty funny, don't they? It, it would be like saying, I'm a bee, but I'm just not connected to any hive at all. It's like saying, I'm a soldier, but I'm not part of any platoon. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. God meant us to be part of a family. This next coming week, in the, as you read The Purpose Driven Life, We're going to be reading together six reasons why you need to be part of a church family, why it meets your needs, and why you meet the needs of others as well. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 5, in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, in this decision that we actually make, you belong to every other Christian. We're members together. You know, the word membership is kind of a funny word to some of us. But did you know that this word was originally a Christian word? It came right out of these verses that you see. It came right out of these verses right here in the Bible. I know that today the same term membership is being used for you know so many things joining a different club singing you know signing up for something if you're part of this sort of group it's used for joining any group but originally the meaning was what it says right here that we're a member of the body of Christ just like your hand is a member of your body you know that's how tightly that we're connected to each other when we belong to a family this is not about you know, some silly club or wearing funny hats or having silly songs that we sing or silly signs. It's about actually belonging to each other and making the choice to be part of a family. You know, I noticed when I was back in Melbourne, there were people that would go from church to church. They would be at one church one week and there'd be at another church the next. And when there was something really exciting happening at another church over there, they'd fly over there and they'd be there. And then the next week they'd be back somewhere else. You know, if you want to grow in your Christian life, if you want to see God at work in your life, you have to join a body. You know, if you're floating from church to church, it it's, it's just doesn't make sense. It would be like, you know, a, a liver. Say you're the liver in a body. It would be like, you know, taking out your, you and going and joining it to one body this week and then the next week taking it off again and joining it to another body the next week and then after that going to another body. You know what's going to happen to you as the liver? If you keep doing that, you're just going to shrivel up and die. And it's the same. If you just go from church to church and church and you're not connected to any body, you're not going to last long. That, that's, what we need to, that's why we need to attach ourselves to a group of believers where you would say, hey, I want to be a part of what's going on here. I want to be a part of what's going on there. Jesus loves the church. He loves the church. And you and I need to have the same kind of love for God's people. Jesus calls the church the body. We need to have that same kind of love and respect for it. We need to recognise what it means. What if I said to you, you know, Rick Warren said this in the, in the simulcast, remember. What if I said to you, you know, I love you, but I just can't stand your body. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense, does it? How would you feel if I said that to you? Wouldn't feel good. Uh, what about if... Uh, if I came and, and, and said to you, you know, the church, it's, it's the bride of Christ and that's what it is. And if I came and said, I love you, but I just can't stand your wife. You know, yet that's what we say to Jesus when we say we love you, Jesus, but we just can't stand your wife, the bride, the church. Uh, do you know, today at the, uh, towards the end of this service, there's a little blue card which is in your news sheet. And all you have to do to start the process of becoming a member is to tick, I want to become a church member. You know, we've got a class coming up and it's just a one-off class where it could be explained to you all the things to do to become a member. And you could become a member after that. You know, God doesn't want you just to be moving around from church to church. He wants you to say, I belong. I'm part of this family. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. And because Jesus loves the church, this group of believers, together we're growing Together, we're growing to become more like Jesus. And you and I need to have the same kind of love for each other as Christ has for this body by choosing 
to belong to it, deciding to it. You know, there's a symbol for that. And there's a symbol that demonstrates the fact that we've, we've decided to belong. It gives us a picture, and that symbol is baptism. Baptism is the picture that we belong together in the body of Christ. Look at what 1 Corinthians 12, 13 has to say about that. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptised. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body. You see, it's a public way of saying, I'm a part of a group of believers and I want to belong to this group of believers. Romans 6 and verse 3 says it in this way. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means when we were lowered into the water. It's like the burial of Jesus when we were raised up out of the water. It's like the resurrection of Jesus. I guess what that's saying is that when we say publicly that we're getting baptised, we're saying we died to something and now we're living to something. You know, we died to our old way of life and now we're living to this new way of life. Now, when Mandy and I got married, she gave me a wedding ring. Now, this wedding ring doesn't actually make me married. But when I wear it, when she gave it to me, she said, I want you to wear this as a symbol to remind you of the fact that you married me and I've been wearing it happily ever since. (laughs) But it's the same. That's what baptism is. It's a visible symbol of a commitment to a person's uh, heart, how they've responded. They've said, I'm not ashamed to tell the whole world that I belong to Jesus, that I believe in Jesus. You know, here at Wodonga District Baptist Church, uh, last year we baptised over 30 people. Over the last five years, we've baptised more than 150 people have come through these waters of baptism. They've actually stood and they've said, I'm not ashamed to be a part of the body of Christ. I belong. You know, since we're talking about fellowship this morning, since we're talking about what it means to to have this picture uh, that we belong together, we thought it would be great for us to have some baptisms right now. And we just want to invite Joy Flegg and Mary Miles to come up. Why don't you give them a big round of applause as they come now? Uh, Joy is going to share her testimony with us. Thanks for that, Joy. Come and share. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Is that right? Yes. Well, <clears throat> I grew up in Sydney, attending a Presbyterian church and I was involved three times on a Sunday, church and Sunday school in the morning, fellowship late afternoon and evening church. And when I was 13, I was confirmed in my faith. I stated my belief and tried to live accordingly, but it was a bit hard and I was really half-hearted over my teenage years. When I married, I came to live on a farm and I felt I could cope. And I just kept God as a backstop. I had God in a neat little box ready to be opened when needed. And I muddled through just. How I wish I knew then what I know now. All the anguish, worry and upset of miscarriages, etc. I would have been able to cope with so much better. We moved into town to live after 14 years and I attended church fairly regularly. But I began to think there was something missing. There had to be more than just sitting in a certain seat each Sunday and being nice to each other. Then one day this lady walked into church with this glowing face and full of excitement at being there. I couldn't believe it. What has she got that I don't know about? So I got to know that lady and I went to a KYB group she was attending. And that was an eye-opener. All these women, about 15 to 20 of them, all believed what they were studying, really believed it. 
It wasn't just something for Sunday morning between 10 and 11, but they were living it all day, every day, and their stories were wonderful. I was blown away. What had I been missing out on? Jesus was real to them, and they were talking about this Holy Spirit, and I only knew the Holy Spirit as the ghost in the blessing before we left church. They used to say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I always thought, the Holy Ghost sounded a bit scary. Well, a few of us from KYB went to a ladies' morning at Faith City, and I really didn't know what to expect. But I went forward in repentance, asking for forgiveness. And Jesus poured out his blessings on me. Sorry. It was so beautiful. Peace and joy, great joy. The wonder of knowing God's presence, the Holy Spirit. It was awesome. Well, we went back to church and tried to tell them all about it, but they weren't interested and didn't want to know. We remained there for some time, myself for seven years, but we began a Bible study prayer group which has continued to this day. And this became a time of great fellowship, study and sharing for us and our lives have been enriched as we encourage each other. So through God's great grace, he has led me, slowly but surely, to this day. Having been in a church where infant baptism was practised, I didn't think it was necessary to do it again. But after study and talking it over with God, I realised if I truly wanted to follow Jesus, I had to obey his commands and follow in his footsteps. So I said, all right, Lord, when it's your time, I'm ready. And here I am. I have actually given my life to Jesus lots of times. Actually, I know of no better way to start the day and or to finish it. But this is something special. It's the outward sign of putting to death my past and all its sins and emerging to become what God has planned for me by his grace. At times I feel stunned that I had to get to be 60 years old before I knew this new life in Jesus Christ. Don't let it happen to you. Go for it now. He is with me all the time. He helps me in all situations. He's asked me to do hard things sometimes, but he always helps me so that I'm able to accomplish what he asks. His grace is bountiful and he pours it out again and again and again. His never-ending love. I just praise and thank him. Thank you, Jesus. And if I may repeat Paul's words to you from Romans 12.1. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. Thank you. Now Mary Miles is going to come and share. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. We go through our lives looking for something. The only thing is we don't realise what that something is. And we don't realise that the something was there all the time. And this is my story. God has always been with me. In my life, I've been truly blessed. I grew up in a strong, loving Catholic family of six children. I'm the fifth member of that family. And my parents always made me feel loved. My parents were religious and would take us all to Mass every Sunday. There was no particular joy in the experience, but it had rhythm and it had purpose to our week. In the late 60s, my parents became involved in the Catholic charismatic renewal. Instead of saying the rosary every night, they were praising the Lord every night and day. Our house became a focal point where people of all denominations would meet to pray. My parents were two of the most living Christians that I've ever encountered. My mother was always feeding people from the kids down the street to the latest refugees that had arrived in Australia. And that was my background. I left school and began nursing training. I left after two years and travelled before I studied to become a teacher. Nothing more to be said really except that I married my best friend and had three handsome healthy sons. And God was with me all the way. Every teaching position I went for, God was there. 
When things went wrong, I prayed in the prayers of my childhood, nothing personal. I did attend Mass occasionally, but I would go to any church that took my interest. In 1987, my dad died of cancer. My brother, who was a member of the Assembly of God, prayed with all the family, and I had experienced an overwhelming feeling of love. It was indescribable. However, I didn't take much notice of it. I thought that happened to everyone. Time marched on and I was busy with my family and teaching and one day I got a phone call from my sister Helen to tell me that my niece had given birth to a little girl. My sister and I are close. We've always looked out for each other. We've spent our entire lives doing things together. Her children are like mine and mine are like hers. We're one big extended family. This should have been a joyous time. It was a new life into the family. However, the birth was a difficult one and many things happened that shouldn't have happened. Kelly, my niece, was very, very ill. Kelly was a Christian who had a deep and personal relationship with Jesus. This should not have happened to her. She went home with her new baby and husband but became very ill. We all maintained contact. However, my sister needed to move down to Melbourne to take care of this new baby and to take care of her daughter. Kelly's sister, Nikki, also moved in with Kel to lighten the load. Although Kelly was fighting every step of the way, she became sicker. She was diagnosed with melanoma cancer and then faced a huge battle. She had many of her friends praying for her and she was going to be healed. She believed she would be healed. After fighting cancer for two years, Kelly was told there was nothing more anyone could do. She battled on and still believed that she would be healed. I spent the last six months of her life travelling down to Melbourne, spending time with Kelly, looking after Ruby, the baby, spending time with my other niece, Nikki, and my sister, Helen. The five of us spent a lot of time together. We spent some sad days, we spent some hard days. Some days that were gut-wrenching, watching her have yet another treatment while trying to take care of a little baby. Watching her die bit by bit. I had nights when I would find my niece Kelly just curled up next to her baby, not sleeping, just loving her. I had nights when I would find my sister slumped on the table crying. None of us slept except the baby. My beautiful, loving, caring niece died, with her mother telling her to go to Jesus. If she could see him, go to him. Kelly put out her arms all that day, trying to get out of bed. She nodded and she smiled and she died. In that room that night was her mum, her sister, her best friend and myself. And in that room that night there was something very powerful, very peaceful and warm. And by the time the men walked in, so was that feeling of peace and warmth. It had gone. There was an emptiness. Helen, Nikki and myself were exhausted and there was still a two-year-old to take care of and a husband who didn't believe his wife had just died. After the funeral, I went back to teaching and life went on as normal. Except I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I'd just cry. I was so sad because I missed Kelly terribly. I kept thinking about the previous months and I was sad because I couldn't bear watching my sister's pain and Nikki's pain. I had watched my sister for months struggling to care for her daughter who was dying. Now little Ruby who was two had lost her mother and she was struggling and looking for her mama. I became very angry with God. How could he take this young, beautiful, vivacious, 30-year-old Christian woman and leave us all in such a mess? I would sit outside for hours at night trying to make sense of it all. My brother told me when Kelly had first got to sick that it wasn't God's fault, but to start reading the Bible. He said, start reading the New Testament, Mary. It's a good place to start. I didn't take any notice of him. However, there was more to come. My mother became ill, so my siblings, along with myself, chose to nurse mum with cancer. She died nine months after Kelly. My boys were sad and lost. The cancer merry-go-round had become part of my life and I realised that things happen in families and I realised I needed to forgive some of my siblings because I thought they had let my mum down and my sister down. They had run and I was cross and I was angry with a few of them. My heart was not only sad but it was becoming hard. I started to read the New Testament. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke and then I got to John. And I read chapters 1, verses 1 to 18, and it astounded me. I was overwhelmed that God had loved me, that he'd sent a saviour for me. He had chosen me. Why would God do that? I started on a quest of seeking and finding out about Jesus. 
except the only thing was that Jesus found me and he opened and healed my heart. And with the love of Jesus, I forgave the people I was hurt with. I committed myself to Jesus one day when I was clearing away my mother's personal belongings. I'd found a prayer in the back of her Bible. I read that prayer and I cried my eyes out. I was overwhelmed by the love Jesus Christ had given me. In fact, I committed myself a number of times because I didn't know what I was doing, just to make sure. I didn't have any Christian friends or a church to discuss what was happening. I prayed for months on where I was to worship, and I, that's how I met Joy and Merle. And these two lovely ladies brought me to this church. I met Norman and Gail, who made me feel so welcome, and I haven't missed a Sunday since. Jesus continues to astound me with his love, and that's why I'm here today. I'm sorry I rejected Jesus so many times. I now know that with God's help, I want to follow Jesus unconditionally and to be his servant. Thanks, God. What great testimonies to what God has done. These people will never be the same. And what a joy it is to witness their public testimony of the symbol through baptism now. Let's witness this too. Well, how many of you did that bring back memories of your own baptism? Isn't it great uh, to witness and to see people making a public commitment to Christ? You know, I'm not talking about what your parents might have done for you when you were a child. I'm talking about standing and saying, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ and I belong to him. Now, the first level of choosing to belong uh, that's what it is, actually choosing to belong. That's the first level of fellowship. The second level, level of fellowship is a, is a bit deeper than that. It's actually learning to share, learning to share. This is the friendship level. This is where you learn to share with each other. You know, God created you in his image. Um, so he wants you to have relationships in the same way that he does. The Bible says uh, it's not good for man to be alone. In other words, you and I were made for each other. Life's not a solo act, friends. It's not what it is. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, this is what it says. All the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other. Would you circle there on your outline, uh, met together? And would you circle the word shared as well? I want you to notice two things. You can't develop friendships without meeting together. And secondly, you can't develop friendships without sharing. Now, the more frequently that you meet together with people, the closer and the deeper your friendship becomes. Uh, do you see some people ever that you actually look at and you think, wow, they have the best friendships. You know, some people had 20 or 30 years of the same people. Sometimes you look at them and you go, wow, gee, you're lucky. You know, 20 or 30 years of the same friendship. Boy, you're so lucky. The truth is, luck has nothing to do with it. You know, it's got nothing to do with luck, the deepness of the level of friendships that you have. It's, it's a choice that you make. You choose to develop friendships by making time for them. Do you know why most people are lonely today? Because they don't make time for friendships. You know, they're so busy uh, doing all these things, achieving things. They're too busy working, too busy doing other things. And they're not willing to put the time into building deep friendships. You have to meet together. You have to get together. And until you start making this an actual priority in your life, you're not going to develop deep friendships. They just don't happen. They can't be rushed. They happen because you choose to actually make time for them in your life. It's got nothing to do with luck. It's a choice that you make. And you can't develop friendships without sharing. It said in that verse in Acts 2, 44, it says they shared everything together. 
Now, some of you who are parents will know that one of the very first things that your kids need to learn is they need to learn to share, don't they? Every little child needs to learn that lesson and it takes a long time. And you know what? God says, I want my family to share. I want them to share with each other. I want you to share with other believers. So the question is, you know, what are we supposed to share in God's family? Well, the good thing, good news is that the Bible is just full of instructions of what you and I are to share. And the first thing that, that uh, we're to share together is our experiences. God wants us to share our experiences with each other. You know, it says, uh, just as iron sharpens iron. People learn from one another just as iron sharpens iron. That's how we get to know each other. We share. We share our experiences. Have you ever heard that it's uh, wise to learn from the experiences, uh, from, from experience? You ever heard that saying? It's good to learn from experience. You know, it makes so much more sense, though, to actually learn from the experiences of other people. Because, you know, really, you and I don't have time to make all the mistakes ourselves in our lives so that we learn from them. You know, uh, if we had to do that ourselves, we'd be making mistake after mistake after mistake. We'd finally figure out how to do everything right and we'd be dead. It'd be too late. You know, but God says, I want you to short circuit that whole process. I want you to not have to learn everything yourself. I want you to learn from other people through the th- their experiences so you don't have to go through all the pain. You see, we're all ignorant. It's just that we're ignorant on different subjects. There are things that I know that you don't. And there are things that you know that I don't. And, you know, the person sitting next to you knows things that you don't know and that I don't know. And we can learn something from every person here today if we just learn to actually ask the right questions of them. So we're to share our experiences with others. Would you just think of the wealth of experiences that are here this morning? It's incredible when you pause to think how much experience is here. And if we just spend the time together, we'd learn so much. The second thing is not just our experiences, but we're to share our homes. We're to share our homes. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 9, open your homes to each other. It doesn't say if they're really nice ones, open your homes. You, know, you don't have to have a great home to open it to other, each other. It just says, open them up. They don't have to be real nice. Why, why does God say that? Why are we to share our homes? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you can't really have fellowship in a crowd. You can only have fellowship in a small group. You can only really get to know people either in a small group or one-on-one. You know, we're not going to do hardly any fellowshipping this morning, people. You're going to leave here not knowing any people any more than what you did when you first came. In a church this size, it's really impossible to fellowship. We, we can learn together. Yes, we can. We can celebrate together. Yep, we can do that. But really no fellowship's going to be taking place this morning in this service. That, that's just the way, way it is. Fellowship actually takes place in a small group. That's where you really get to share That's where you really get to share experiences in your home. And that's why uh, the Bible says that we're to open our homes to each other. Did you know that for the first 300 years of Christianity, there were no church buildings at all? Everybody met together in their homes. For 300 years, no church buildings. And and every single gathering happened in someone's home. That's where they were all. And you know what? It was the fastest growth period of the whole church's history in those first 300 years. One of the reasons we keep saying here, get into a small group. One of the reasons we keep saying, sign up at the information desk as you go. One of the reasons we say we want you in a small group during the 40 days of purpose is because it's a biblical principle. Open up your homes. Now, there's an article that was printed which talked about the differences in levels of communion and showed that in suburban areas, many people don't feel a strong sense of communion. After they're doing research, they found that the reason was, was the remote control garage. 
You know, they said people are so busy now that what they do is they just drive in and they click on the remote control, up it comes, goes straight in, they go into their house. You know what used to happen in the old days, the very, very old days? <laughs> they didn't have remote control garages. And what you had to do was you had to park your car on the sidewalk, you know, on the, on the garage. Oh, sorry, no, on the, Nate, yeah, on the road, anyway. <laughs> And you had to get out and you had to cross the lawn. People had big lawns and you'd cross and you'd catch your neighbour getting the mail or something and you'd sit and you'd have a chat. You'd stand together and you'd talk about things that were going on and you got to know each other. And, you know, um, so many people have remote-controlled garages. Some of you here lives in, in farms where your nearest neighbour is kilometres away. You never get to see them. Uh, you'd never see anybody unless you actually opened up your homes. We can have remote control garages, but it means we've got to open up our homes to get to know people. And that's the truth. Open up your homes, the Bible says. Do it intentionally. I wonder this morning, how many of you are in a 40 days of purpose group? Could you raise your hand right up there? That's right, just about everybody here. It's fantastic. And, and let's be honest, uh, I think the figures at the moment are around 650 people in this church are signed up for uh, host home groups. And let's be honest, some of you were a little bit afraid when you first went to a small group. Perhaps some of you really had to overcome fear and have courage as you walked up to the door at the start. I'm wondering, you know, some of you also have said, I want to host a home. And I wonder if you said, I'll open up my home and host a home, would you stand up now if you opened up your home this week? Just stand up right where you are. We want to see who you are. If you're a host home leader, that's good. Hey, these guys are doing what the Bible says. Let's give them a round of applause. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. You overcame your fears and you courageously opened your home and it's great. You know, uh, when you first started coming to a small group, many of you were very afraid of what would happen. We just put, put together this short little video which kind of touches on some of the fears most people have when they go for the very first time to a small group. <laughs> now, some of you thought that was really going to happen, didn't you? <laughs> but the Bible says we're to learn to share. And how do we learn to share? Where do you learn to share? Well, definitely not in a big group like this, but in a small group. And that's why you're really not going to feel part of the Wodonga District Baptist Church until you actually get into one of those terrible small groups. <laughs> It's not really like that, I, trust me. So not only do we share our experiences, uh, not only do we share our homes together, but we also share together our problems. We're not meant to face our problems alone. We're really not meant to. The Bible says that we're to share each other's troubles and problems. You know, where there's... Uh, where there's joy and you share it, the joy is doubled. And when there's grief and you share it, the grief is halved when you share it with others. The Bible says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, sometimes in a, in a small group, you die of laughter. It's, it's hilarious. It's great fun. Sometimes you find yourself shedding a tear. Why? Well, it really depends on what's going on in the group. It's the times you just sit together and everyone's having a great time and it's fun. Other times someone's going through a real deep issue and all you need to do is just listen and share. You know, and just say, I know what you're going through. I've been through that too. I understand. We're here with you. You know, you don't have to answer all their problems. You don't have to fix them up. In fact, sometimes trying to fix people's problems is worse than just being there and listening and saying, we're with you. I know it's tough. We're going through this experience with you. Now, you're never really going to get to this second level of fellowship until you get into a small group. That's why the Bible says clearly in Hebrews 10, chapter uh, 25, it says, uh, verse, ch chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. You know, the primary purpose of getting into a group is to get together, to encourage each other. And it says, don't give up the habit. And, you know, I hope you will never give up the habit 
of being in a small group. I hope you that have just started in a small group for the first time during these 40 days will stay in one for the rest of your lives, in, be, that you'll be committed to being in small groups. Now, some of you have tried a group, and look, to be honest with you, it just hasn't been good. It hasn't been a good fit. And you think, oh, they're a bit daggy in my group. <laughs> Do you know the good news? We've got 66 groups here. And you might have got in one that just doesn't really suit you. Maybe it is, for you, a bit daggy. Or maybe it's just not the right kind of group for you. Well, you know what? Just change groups. It's all right to do that. There's 66 different groups. But you know what? Don't stop being in a small group. You know, Mandy and I, we, we, we like going to restaurants. And sometimes, you know, we've had a restaurant that was just really bad. Everything about it was bad. It was terrible. You know what I said to Mandy at the end of that night? We're never going to a restaurant ever again. <laughs> I didn't. You know what I did? We just haven't been back to that restaurant. And you know, it's stupid to say, I tried a small group once and it was terrible. You've got another 65 options at the moment and, and it's okay to change groups. I give you permission if you're, if you're not happy there. But keep going, I encourage you, don't give up this habit. Keep on being part of a small group. You know, today, uh, as you leave, you can still join small groups in the 40 days of purpose and that, that's great. This second level, it's, it's learning to share. Now there's another level, a deeper level. This level is partnership. And this is doing my part. You know, partnership is realise, realising that you've got to make a contribution. You know, that God's family actually needs you. Listen, God didn't bring you here to Wodonga District Baptist Church to sit down and just soak up everything that's happening here in like some spiritual spa bath. He, he doesn't want you to just to come and soak up everything and not contribute in any ways. No, he brought you here so that you could serve, so you could be part of what's going on. He wants to make a difference through your life. In every family, there's responsibilities, isn't there? Every family, you have to do your part. And you have to do your part and you have to do your part. And together, we all divide up the chores and we work together so that we can get the job done. Well, it's just the same in God's family. In the Christian family, uh, God wants us to all work together to get the job done. You know, there's 58 times in the New Testament where the phrase one another appears. It shows how much God wants us to work together uh, with one another. It says we're to serve one another. We're to love one another. We're to pray with one another. The Bible even says we're to put up with one another while we're doing all of this. That's what we're to do. That's how it works when we work together. And it's love in action, not just words. You see, it's great to actually share your heart. That's level two. But it's even greater to do your part. That's what level three is all about. Listen to what the Bible says. In fact, why don't we read this verse together? We are partners working together for God. Would you circle the word there, partners? We're partners working together for God. Uh, Paul said to some people, he said, uh, we're partners spreading the good news of Christ everywhere. Now, in the Greek language, the word partners uh, and fellowship are very similar. They're sometimes used interchangeably. Uh, they're, they're very close. It's kind of like Fellowship and partnership is like being on the same team. How many, have you ever wanted to be on a great team? You know, maybe you, you've been a footballer and you've wanted to end up, you know, playing for a team like Collingwood? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, maybe you wanted to play cricket for Victoria or in the netball team and you've really wanted to be a, a part of a team that really is successful and great. You have the chance to be on the best team ever. <laughs> you got a chance to play on God's team. You got a chance to do your part in this team and achieve God's purposes. 
What an incredible privilege. Some of you said, oh, I want to be, be part of the best company, the best business that there ever there is. I want to be one of those top 10 companies in Australia. You know, a, a great enterprise that are achieving great things. You're already in part of a family where you can be a great part of this team who is achieving things that are eternal. We're achieving part, doing part of God's universal purposes on earth here together in your team and you're needed. You're needed. That's what it's all about. When you participate, when you get on board as part of this team, we achieve great things together. We cooperate together. But in order to be part of it, you've got to find your niche. You've got to find where you actually fit in. How do I fit? And then the Bible tells us that we each have a part to play. We each have a niche. Look what Ephesians 4.16 says. The whole body is fitted together purposely. Now that's God's job. He, he does this. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know, you might want to circle the word each part. That's you. Now that's me. We're a part of God's body and it's working together that we get things done. You know, uh, can any of you remember the, we're having a lot of footy illustrations, I'm sorry for you, but anyone remember the Brisbane Lions? Yep. They, they've done really well in the last few years, haven't they? They've got up to, you know, uh, flags. They've won a lot of premierships. And if, if I was to say, you know, can anyone name five players, it would be very hard. You know why? Because they're not a team of superstars. They're a team that work together. And as they work together, there's not so many that stand out in the crowd. They're a team that go together. And in the same way, the heart that you and I are to have when we serve is not to be superstars. It's to be people that serve each other as though we're serving Jesus. That's the attitude that you and I are to have as we serve together. You've got a part to play. You've got a part to play in the body of Christ. And when we cooperate, we get more done together than we ever could have by ourselves. And there's this attitude, this heart attitude that's key to everything we do as we serve. We're doing it for Jesus Christ. You know, Mother Teresa, um, when she was uh, alive, she was spending time working, as so many of you know, with the poorest poor in India, in Calcutta. And once she, she was asked, you know, how do you handle all the death and the disease that you see on a daily basis? You know, how do you actually do these things, these tough things when it comes to serving? You know what her answer was? She said, every person I bathe, every person I bandage, I imagine the face of Jesus. I imagine seeing his face on theirs and I do it for him. And that's the attitude behind what we do when we play our part. It's the attitude uh, of, of Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40 when it says, just as you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. That's on your outline there. So I want to encourage you to make this a practical action step so actually this week as you come together in your host home groups, as you meet together to say, what can we do to help each other? What project can we do to serve each other so that we not only, uh, you, you know, uh, are there for each other, sharing our experiences and all that, but we're actually playing our part. We're doing the second level of, the third level of fellowship. Now, the deepest level of fellowship in the family of God is what I call uh, it's called kinship. Now, it's the oldest term of all, and we don't use it much anymore. So, in fact, when I say kinship, um, some of you kind of think about, do you remember the um, Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> they had this song, come listen to a story about a band named Jed, a poor mountaineer. Uh, the second verse, <laughs> I know you want more of this, don't you? <laughs> Let me sing you the second verse. Well, next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from here. Remember that? So the kinfolk, you know, it's kind of like Aunt Mary, Aunt Martha, old Uncle Bob and the whole, whole people, you know, everybody, all the kinfolk, they start talking to the Beverly Hillbillies and say, come on, Jed, you've got to move. But that's not the true meaning of the word kinship. It's not meaning every uncle and auntie and great cousin that you've ever known. No, it literally means your closest relationships, friends. 
You know, when someone has an accident, they notify their next of kin. They don't notify Annie Ethel. <laughs> they mean you, you're going to go and find the person that you care about the most, the one that's closest to them, the one they hold most dearly. You go to the person that matters most, and that's the true meaning of what it means uh, of kinship. And you might want to write this down. The deepest level is kinship. It's loving believers like family. Loving believers like family. It's treating and, and, and uh, treating and loving believers as if they're really your family. You can meet, you're completely committed to them. You know, Acts 2.42 on your outlines, it says, they were like family to each other. And God says, well, we're not just like a family, we are a family. Romans 12 and verse 10 on your outline, it says, be devoted to each other like a loving family. Now, the word for fellowship in the Bible means uh, koinonia, koinonia. And it's in its basic uh, root word of the meaning actually means that we're to love others as Christ loves us. You know, this is the deepest kind of fellowship that we can ever have. It's kind of being committed to each other as Jesus is committed to us. It's a family relationship. It's the kind of the closest person to you kind of thing. You know, Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for you. You see, many of you know John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But do, do many of you know 1 John 3.16? It's there on your outline. It's, it, it says, We know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us. And we ought to give up our lives for our Christian Brothers and sisters, this is the deepest kind of fellowship, the deepest level. It's sacrificing for each other. It's the kind of love that Jesus had for you when he died. Now, you know, uh, we don't understand this very much. Many people talk about the fellowship of suffering. When you share uh, suffering together in Wodonga, we don't have to suffer very often uh, together. You know, there are places all around the world where people are dying for the one reason, that they believe in Jesus Christ, that they've committed their lives to following him. And it doesn't happen here. But, you know, over 10 million Christians die every year just because they believe in Jesus Christ. This happens in communist countries and in Muslim countries simply because they're Christians. And, you know, we, we come to, to see that we're to give our lives up for others, just like Jesus did. You know, they're, they're literally saying, I'll take a bullet for my brothers and sisters. I'll take a bullet for my faith in you, Lord Jesus. That's what they're saying. We don't have to do that in, here in Wodonga. But perhaps how do we then go to this and live out this fourth level? You know, how do we actually do that? You know how we do it? Well, we're with people right through the midst of crises. We're right with people when they're going through their toughest times. Uh, you know, uh, Gail Hill's part of our church and she's going to share now some of her experiences of being with people through the toughest time in a small group. Thanks, Gail. Let's give her a round of applause. Thank you, well, I'd like, to take, I'd like to take just a few moments to share with you about the amazing blessings and joy I've had personally and have and have observed in my pastoral care role in others as they've experienced life, relationship and fellowship together in a small group. Four years ago, a small group of amazing women got together and prayed consistently for me as I grappled with cancer. These women became and still are my best friends. Naturally, without the Lord, my wonderful husband and family, I couldn't have endured this trial. But my women's prayer group became for me my foundation, my rock, and without their love and care, I don't know that I would have overcome in the way that I did. I remember family and work colleagues at the time amazed at the depth of support and care I was fortunate to have at that time. My group prayed for me, brought food, books and took me on adventures. I remember at the conclusion of my chemotherapy, 
Jill took me on a day's outing and adventure to Bright to cheer me up and celebrate the conclusion of chemotherapy. And we had an amazing day. My friends really enriched my life and still do. We love and we care for each other. We've been there for each other over the past four years and we're only saying on Friday that we will still be there for each other when we're in our 80s. Actually, at one time, we went on a conference and uh, we were hearing about Bill Hybels and the people that have been with him for 30 years and how they're planning to buy aged care condominium units together. So we decided after coming back from that conference that that's what we would do, much to the um, concern of our husbands. <laughs> Every one of us has had personal, family, relationship or health issues during this time as well. Children grappling with addictions, family members critically ill, children who disappoint, personal relational issues, parents who have died, but we've always met, we've prayed and we've cared. I remember Judy and I, just before last year's VCE exams, praying for both our daughters that were going through it at the same time. Last year, Margie Docking went to Africa for 11 weeks. We prayed for her consistently. I can remember one night waiting up with Avril really late just to ring Marg because of the time difference. It wasn't an easy feat to get through to where she was staying, but we did, and I can remember the joy and comfort and relief that brought her, and that was amazing. It was amazing connecting over the kilometres and sharing our love and compassion with her. At the moment, our prayer group meets and we pray every week for one of our beautiful sisters, Bev. We've all been concerned about her and have been planning a daily roster if and when she becomes unable to drive. Bev was only sharing last night with me how her MS lady, sorry, who visits her fortnightly, cannot believe that she has had such wonderful support. We love her dearly and that love has applied itself in practical support as well. On Friday, the girls met for a working bee to help with those annoying cobwebs and windows that are hard to get to. The morning ended up, I'm told, in laughter and frivolity on Bev's bed, with everyone praying and sharing. And they even prayed for Jonathan on Bev's bed, Jonathan, because he had a particularly challenging day on Friday. We've all formed a deep and spiritual bond over this long period of time that has been cemented by Christ's love for us and for each other. What other life, what other community could ever provide this? This is only part of the experiences that we shared in four years. But I just want to tell you one, briefly, one other experience of another couple that weren't in my small group but that I observed and that they were only here for 12 months and how possible it is to experience that sense of kinship even in 12 months. Mark and Naomi Warren have left us to go back to Melbourne and they had joined Gail and Kevin Schneider's small group and they found a home. The bond that developed was beautiful to watch. Even though this lovely couple had such a short time with us, I observed the deep relationship that grew between them and the rest of the group, particularly with Gail and Kevin. Outings at the Weir, outings to Jan Waddington's nursery, coffee mornings, dinners, etc., were just part of the experiences of life together. Naomi has written to tell me, to tell you, all how incredibly essential it is to join a small group, even if you are only here for 12 months and don't have four years like I've had the privilege to have. I know that when she left, both her and Mark felt like they were leaving family. Gail and Kevin and many others continue to have contact with them and hope one day they'll return. I know that that is Mark and Naomi's hope as well. 
these are only just a few examples and I know every one of you have hundreds of stories to tell about sharing life together. So I encourage you all to, if you're not there, then to get there, take that move and take that opportunity to join a small group. Thank you. This is what it's all about. This is what life is all about. It's about loving God and loving other people. Now, I've had times where I've been at people's bedsides while they were just uh, going, uh, just dying in their last moments. And, you know, no one has ever said to me, Jonathan, could you bring me my diplomas? You know, could you bring me my trophies? I, I just want to be able to have some of the, the gold watch that I was given for my 50th retirement. No one's ever said anything like that. You know what they say? Bring me my family. Bring me my friends. Don't you wait till your deathbed to realise what's most important in life. Relationships are so much more important than any achievement. And God created you. He formed you for his family. You know, I, I hope that people don't look at this church and say, hey, we're Donga District Baptist Church. You know, it, you, you, have you heard about it? It's size. I don't want anyone to know about it, to, to look at us because of its size. You know, I don't want people to say that we're, we're, we're great sermons. You know, we've got great sermons here. I don't want people to say we've got great singing. You know, I don't, I don't want people to say we've got a great strategy or great buildings. What I want to say, people to say as they drive past this church and I want them to say, this is the church that loves each other. You know, people say, how come this church is so big? Do you know, I think if you have a church that's more about relationships than religion, more about love than doctrine or theology, then you'd have to shut the doors to lock people out because people want to be a part of a family that loves. I want to challenge you today to make this a priority in your life. In, in just these moments now, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond and just take out the blue card. You know, what we want every single person to do, if you can, is to just fill out your name and address on the front. We just want to, even if you've been here a hundred times, we'd just love to have a record that you're with us today. And then in these next few moments, we want you to just fill out the card. This morning you might be saying, hey, I'm, I want to become committed to this family. I want to become a member. If you just tick that, we'll follow you up with a letter just letting you know when the membership class is on. Some of you might be saying, I, I'm, I've never committed myself to publicly saying, Jesus, I belong to you. Tick out that form, uh, that, that part on the form that says, I want to be baptised. And maybe you say, no, I just don't want to share my heart here. I want to play my part. Well, maybe you might want to be able to help where you need it or help in children's ministry. Why don't you just take a few moments and then your, our offerings are going to be collected, which is a crucial part of our worship today of giving to God. Why don't you just take a few moments as you complete those?